2: This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The long-expected U.S. executive order is out, and Politico's Eric Geller provides analysis... Eternal Blue is used to spread WannaCry ransomware, and the U.K.'s NHS is hard-hit. Fancy bear prances in NATO costume. U.S. intelligence community leaders warn the Senate that the Russian cyber threat is large, growing, and not going away. And spamming celebrates its 39th birthday. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Friday, May 12, 2017. U.S. President Trump signed his long-anticipated executive order on cybersecurity yesterday, and we'll have some notes and an interview on that one later. In the meantime, there are other breaking stories worth your attention. There's some new fallout, apparently, from the shadow broker's last dump of tools. A strain of ransomware, WannaCry, is spreading rapidly via the Eternal Blue tool the brokers dumped, which they claim they got in some unspecified fashion from the U.S. NSA. Researchers at security firm Avast tell Forbes that they've recorded 36,000 variants of WannaCry today. Malware Hunter team counts 12 affected countries and says that Russia has been hardest hit, with Spain and China placing and showing. Eternal Blue is an access tool that abused the network file-sharing protocol SMB, Server Message Block, to exploit a now-patched Microsoft vulnerability, MS17-010. The exploit isn't ransomware itself, but is being used to deliver WannaCry to its targets. Flashpoint noticed at the end of April an upwelling of chatter in Russian cybercrime fora concerning ways of using the shadow brokers' dumps. It would appear this is one use someone's found for them. As so often happens, the medical sector is being hard hit. Sixteen National Health Service facilities in the United Kingdom have reported infection. In some cases, this has caused wards to close and staff to be sent home. WannaCry isn't the only development in ransomware. Jaff, a strain of malware that looks a lot like Son of Locky, is now reported to be spreading via Nikurs. It's asking for $3,700 from its victims. As always, it's better to back up than to pay. While one WannaCry seems likely to be predominantly a criminal action, there are reports of state-sponsored activity today as well. Romania's Ministry of Foreign Affairs is said to be among the diplomatic organizations and missions across Europe being fished by Fancy Bear, APT-28, or Russia's GRU. The phishing emails spoof NATO addresses and seek to induce the unwary to download a remote-access Trojan that FireEye researchers are calling GameFish. Romanian authorities haven't commented, but NATO, while declining to say anything about this particular episode, says it comes under attack all the time and that spoofed emails are no novelty. Part of the reason the hacking of on-marsh emails, also attributed to Fancy Bear, didn't have the kind of malign effect seen in the earlier attacks against the U.S. Democratic National Committee is that the hackers had less time to establish themselves. But a bigger part of the failure seems due to the Macron campaign's early and active mitigation efforts. The U.S. Directors of Central Intelligence and National Intelligence tell Congress that rising Russian assertiveness, activity and influence in cyberspace is an enduring and growing threat. Senator McCain regrets that U.S. preparations seem unequal to that threat and exoriates the current national state of readiness. U.S. President Trump yesterday signed his long-anticipated executive order on cybersecurity. Its sections address cybersecurity of federal networks, cybersecurity of critical infrastructure, and cybersecurity for the nation. It's a federal government-centric order whose recurring themes are IT modernization and rationalization, including more shared services and use of the cloud, an emphasis on resilience and an assertion that henceforth agency heads will be held accountable for the security of the organizations they lead. It mandates use of the NIST framework across the federal government and places a strong emphasis on implementing sound risk management practices. It also calls for increased cyber deterrent capability. It's noteworthy that the two agencies singled out as responsible for assessing and reporting on federal cybersecurity are OMB, which handles fiscal management, and so could be expected to address the sought-after efficiencies of IT modernization and consolidation, and DHS, responsible for securing the .gov domain. Many of the executive order's elements are relatively uncontroversial and represent continuity more than they do a break with past policy or past aspirations. Reaction has been, of course, mixed, but on balance, positive. A little later in the show, Politico's Eric Geller joins us to review the order. Sophos rather sourly notes, Spam turned 39 last week. Sure, it's Jack Benny's permanent age, but it's also a reminder of how enduring an obvious threat vector is. So no happy returns of the day, Spammers. Spammers. Finally, a correction on a story we ran earlier this week. On May 8th, we made note of the Fatboy ransomware as a service offering and how it uses the Big Mac Index to automatically set the price of the ransom depending on where you live. So far, so good. We went on to say that the Big Mac Index has nothing to do with the delicious multi-layered McDonald's hamburger of the same name. That was wrong. The Big Mac Index is indeed named for the burger. We do our best to get our facts straight, but from time to time we get it wrong, and we think it's important to let you know when we do, and make it right. Incidentally, I'm more of a filet of fish guy myself. Rubble rubble. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Jonathan Katz. He's a professor of computer science at the University of Maryland and also director of the Maryland Cybersecurity Center. Center. Uh, Jonathan, saw a story come by on InfoWorld about um, some HTTPS inspection tools that might weaken security. Uh, let's start with some basics here, though. Can you just give us a quick overview of how HTTPS works and how uh, that traffic can be inspected?
1: Yeah, so let me start with a very high-level overview of how uh, HTTPS works. Uh, Basically, HTTPS is a protocol that allows a user to set up a secure connection with a server. And typically, this is done, let's just say, in two steps at a very high level. Uh, One step would be that the user will get an authentic copy of the server's public key. And then using that copy of the server's public key, there will be some interactive protocol that they run that allows the user and the server uh, to set up the secure connection. Now, in the article you were talking about, uh, what happened basically is that uh, a third party was introduced into this mix, and... What that third party did was basically sit in between the user and the server, and rather than having a connection directly between the user and the server, what you had instead was one connection between the user and this intermediary, and then a second connection between the intermediary and the server. So that meant that you had encrypted traffic going between the intermediary and the server. The intermediary would then decrypt it and inspect it, and then re-encrypt it and forward it back onto the client.
2: This sort of inspection is a pretty routine thing to happen within, a, like, for example, a corporate IT environment.
1: Yes, it could be set up in that way, right? What you would have is, uh, say, a user was accessing some Internet site from uh, from their computer at work. And rather than setting up a connection directly between themselves and the server, uh, they would, say, set up a connection between a, uh, a firewall, say, within the company. And then that firewall would act as the intermediary and allow the user to connect out to the server. So in this
2: particular story, there was uh, sort of a a degradation of the, uh, the type of encryption that was used along the way?
1: Well, what happened in this particular case was that the encryption part was okay, but the intermediary was not doing a proper job of uh, obtaining the the legitimate copy of the server's public key. Typically, you can think of the fact that a a user who was particularly paranoid, or even just if they were following good security practices, they might do several different things to validate the public key of the server. But uh, in this particular case, apparently the intermediaries, these uh, border gateways uh, or firewalls as they were, uh, we're not doing that appropriate validation. So then it, they ran the risk that the intermediary itself could be man in the middle by an attacker, uh, thereby reducing security for the end user.
2: All right, interesting stuff. Jonathan Katz, thanks for joining us. Struggling to secure on prem apps with modern identity? Don't worry, you're not alone. I'm pleased to welcome Eric Geller back to the Cyberwire. He's the cybersecurity reporter for Politico Pro, where you can find his coverage of the just released executive order on cybersecurity. Eric Geller, welcome back to the Cyberwire. Thank you for having me. President Trump signed the executive order on cybersecurity yesterday. Uh, let's start off. Just give us a, an overview. What's in this executive order?
0: Well, it has three major components uh, it, it deals with uh, securing federal networks, it deals with securing Uh, The critical infrastructure that uh, powers basically all of our modern lives, and then it deals with uh, international engagement, uh, essentially uh, building a more secure uh, world for cyberspace. Um, So a couple of the highlights that uh, folks may want to know about, all agencies are now uh, required to use the NIST cybersecurity framework, uh, which is something that has been evangelized in the private sector, and uh, pieces of it have made their way to various government agencies, but it has not been an outright requirement, uh, so it now is. The Office of Management and Budget and the Secretary of Homeland Security are going to work on essentially every agency has to send them a report on how they're implementing the framework, how they're making cyber risk management choices. And uh, OMB and DHS have to look at those and decide, are they good enough? And then uh, what is the sort of executive branch-wide cyber picture? And they have to tell that to the president and give some recommendations for addressing that. Um, so that's that is, I would say, the big piece uh, on the on the on the IT uh, modernization side. Uh, I should also say that the American Technology Council, headed by Jared Kushner, is going to put together a report on the all the different considerations around moving to shared services, moving to one network across the entire executive branch. Um, so that is going to be an ambitious effort for sure. Um, And then and then, you know, the critical infrastructure, section two, that's kind of the other big thing. It requires essentially a study uh, from DHS of current efforts to protect critical infrastructure, current efforts to work with the operators and what resources they might need and what capabilities the government doesn't yet have that it should have to protect or I should say to help those companies protect their infrastructure and they again they have to report to the president on uh, what we could be doing better in that area Um, then there's you know just kind of a smattering of other things studying uh, power outages creating efforts to fight botnets looking at uh, the defense industrial base cyber threats to the defense industrial base um, and then you get into kind of the international area which is you know deterrence um, capacity building uh, the secretary of state has to submit a report on an international cyber strategy um, it, it ends actually with something that i think is really interesting and important which is workforce development um, looking at different ways to train people better education programs, apprenticeships, that kind of thing. There's, there are a number of reports on what the U.S. is doing, um, what our foreign cyber peers are doing. The, the director of national intelligence has to prepare a report on basically what we can learn from how other countries are training their cyber workforces, because that is an issue on the horizon that a lot of people are very concerned about, the U.S. falling short in that area. It really um, runs the gamut of a lot of the high-level cyber issues that are out there.
2: And so far, what have reactions been to the executive order?
0: Mostly positive. I have to say I've, I've spoken to a number of former Obama cyber folks who say that this is really a vindication of what they did. Um, there, there's no attempt here to roll back Obama efforts. Um, yesterday at the briefing, Tom Bossert, the Homeland Security Advisor, was asked. Uh, you know, He said at one point that the, the previous administration uh, dropped the ball, and, and he was asked to clarify, and he basically said, I, I think they didn't do enough. But really this is just a continuation of everything that they have been doing. Um, it, it moves the ball forward a little you know, a little bit in terms of concrete steps, um, you know, reports that have to be written and that kind of thing. But there's nothing here that deviates from the Obama uh, efforts. There, there really wasn't a lot of criticism. I will say that the main line of criticism that did exist was people saying they wanted more concrete action rather than just a series of reports. But this is very much a table-setting move for the Trump administration.
2: And, and speaking of action, are, are there any deadlines in the report? What kinds of timelines are set for some of the uh, elements they want to implement?
0: Yeah, most of the reports are due within 60, 90 to 120 days. There is a, a report that is due in 240 days and, and a report, actually the State Department uh, International Strategy report is due within 45 days. So you're going to see, I think, over the next uh, next three or four months in particular, a lot of effort to to move the ball forward on those reports
2: what are you hearing in terms of uh, people's take on the ability to actually implement some of the things that are
0: outlined in this executive order? A major challenge for them is going to be that they don't have people in a lot of the third, fourth tier uh, positions, the sub-cabinet roles that are responsible for not only managing the career staffers who are doing these things, but also advocating for them and advocating for the priorities that come out of their work. So uh, as an example, DHS has to look at critical infrastructure engagement. Um, Career staffers are going to reach out to the critical infrastructure operators. They're going to talk to them. They're going to hear about uh, essentially what they could be doing better. Um, But without an assistant secretary for cybersecurity and communications – And without a deputy undersecretary for cybersecurity in the the National Protection and Programs Directorate, those are two very important roles for taking the information and going to the deputy secretary, the secretary, the National Security Council, and saying, uh, here's what we've learned, here's what we need to do. So, you know, one problem here could be that the career officials put together their reports and they filter up to the deputy secretary and they, they make their way to the president but the, the people who are supposed to be advocating for next steps aren't in place. They're not actually ready to say, OK, here's the report. Now here's what we've got to do about it.
2: Anything that struck you as being uh, surprising or unexpected
0: in, in the executive order? I think what's, what was most unexpected to me looking at the other executive orders um, in the Trump administration so far is that this is not very political. There's nothing in here that jumps out to you as as suggesting an imminent court battle or anything like that. Um, They even toned down the language in the botnet section to avoid specifically calling out the telecommunications industry. To sort of uh, make them a little bit happier, kind of appease them. Uh, That section is more general than it used to be. It doesn't doesn't say that they have a particular responsibility. So I think you know to 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 step back and look at this order. It's a very technical, apolitical document. It 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 is a reflection of uh, how apolitical a lot of cybersecurity is. Um, As you start delving into implementation, there are you know bureaucratic concerns. Um, And so you could say there is office politics in in the sense of who gets what money and all that. But this isn't a partisan area for the most part. It's not an area where Republicans and Democrats have fundamentally different visions. So what surprised me most is really how they were able to lean on the career staffers and, and put out a product that looks very different from a lot of the other executive orders in this administration so far.
2: All right, Eric Geller, thanks for joining us. Thank you. and that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network,